prayer. Father, right now we want to come before you. We recognize that uh, sometimes we have sound problems. We have problems making sure we get things recorded. And one of the things, Father, we like to have is all of our lessons recorded so that it's available online for the people that didn't get to make it here. So we, we just pray, Father, that this goes the way you want it to go. I would ask the Spirit, Holy Spirit, to move here in among us at this time to, to cause us to cause our hearts and our minds to be open to your word and, and help us learn to love you the, the way we're supposed to love you and should love you. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Well, I don't think I have to introduce myself. I, know, I think most of y'all know who I am. Lynn Stringfell, it's, it's, on, the, it's on the book. Uh, I'm the camps minister down in Tulsa. Um, a little bit of my background. I grew up out in the country. When I say out in the country, the nearest town to me was 22 miles away. My nearest neighbor was about a quarter of a mile away, and after that neighbor, the nearest neighbor to us was three miles away. So I literally grew up out in the country. Grew up on my papaw's farm. Yes, he was called papaw. And a funny thing happened one, one time. A, a relative, distant relative, and I don't even know what he was to me. I never paid any attention to all that stuff. Came to visit us, and he was from California. And while he was out there, he was there part of the day. He got there late in the day, uh, I want to say maybe shortly before noon. So... By the time supper came around, he hadn't been there very long. He'd been there like six hours. And, and all this time, I think, he was just kind of a smart aleck. I don't even know how else to say it. He was one of these kind of guys that just got on your nerves real quick. He had something to say about everything, and he just got on our nerves just real fast. Well, Papa, something happened up at the barn. I don't even remember what it was, but Papa got up and had to go up to the barn to take care of whatever it was. And while he was gone, and there was quite a bit of the family there because of somebody visiting from out of town, uh, he decides he's going to do an impression of Papa. So he starts his impression. Well, nobody in the house is impressed with his impression because it's nothing like Papa. Here he was trying to make fun of, of Papa, and it wasn't funny to any of us because he had a distorted view of who he was and what he was like. It's kind of the same way with us. We are so unlike God, and to make matters worse, we have a distorted view of who he is and what he's like. This session is supposed to be about loving God, right? How can we claim to love God when we have a distorted view of what he's like and who he is? That's what I'm going to try to work on. The difference between him and us is not simply that he has infinitely more power, although he does. It's a love issue. I think the difference is best, is best seen in the way he and we look at fellow sinners. Think about this for a second. God loves mankind. Simple statement, right? He loves mankind. But mankind is sinful, right? God is a hater and an enemy of sin. But he loves sinful mankind. We're selfish, smug, self-righteous, wicked, yet he still loves us. Paul said when he was writing to the church in Rome, God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's in Romans 5.8, if you're keeping track. And if you jump down to verse 10, he says, 
the same thing in a different way. When we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son. So my first question, I'm going to be asking some questions today, and I want your feedback. And I, I won't take long. Uh, I just want to get some feedback from you as we go through and progress through this. Why do you think God loves mankind? Sinful mankind. Why does he love us? You get to answer, by the way. Because he created us to be like him, you said? Okay. Because he doesn't like that? Yeah. <clears throat> Okay, that's pretty good. Why does he love us? Uh-oh, all of a sudden I hear myself. <laughs> that was better. <laughs> Anybody else, why does God love us? Made us for a purpose and believes we can fulfill it. I like that. It's good. Because he chooses to. I really like that. God enjoys our company. You ever thought about that? The God who created everything enjoys our company. He likes being around you. Think about that. What else could explain him choosing to be a part? Come down here and walk with us in all this muck. On one occasion, he said, you might want to turn that down. On one occasion, he said, sell yourself. Go ahead, sell yourself, even for a world. And I tell you, you've made a bad bargain. That's Matthew 16, 26. By the way, if you look that up, it'll read a little bit differently. I read that in the LSV version. Lynn Stringfellow version. Uh, contrast that with our love. We often love what we think a person should be. We'll barely tolerate a person standing in front of us, and we'll only tolerate that as long as it appears there's hope for them to change. We feel awkward and uncomfortable in the presence of sinners. We'll only feel relief if we can tell ourselves that we set them straight before we turn our backs and walk off on them. Our obsession somebody's getting away with something is so unlike Jesus it's just plain shameful how can we reach out to sinners if we don't love them Apostle John said if anyone loves me if anyone says I love God yet hates his brother he's a liar for anyone who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot, cannot love God whom he has not seen. One of the things I do and have done for years in ministry is to try to train young men and young ladies to, to become ministers, to become campus ministers, to reach out on campuses and, and reach lost people. And in that training process, uh, the first thing they have to do is give me permission to work on them, to chisel some of the bad parts off of them, if you will. I had a couple of Guys, I was going to call them knuckleheads, but that, 
that one's reserved for a couple of others. Um, a couple of guys in, a, in my ministry that, that were, um, man, they were just going at each other all the time. It was reaching a point that everybody in the ministry was coming to me and complaining. These guys were fighting each other all the time. They were eating each other alive. They didn't have a kind word to say about each other ever. One of them could have done something perfectly, and the other one would have found something about him he, that was bad, about what he had just done that was bad. I finally reached a point I just had enough. I brought them into my office, and I set them down to knock their heads together, my wife calls it. Well, in part of that knocking the heads together, I made them read that verse. I made both of them read it. If anyone says, I love God, yet hates his brother, he's a liar. For anyone who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. I had them both read that, and I had them both tell me what that meant. And the most amazing thing happened when, that, when, that, when we got to that point. I did some other things before I got there, but that, when we got to that point, here's the amazing thing that happened. One of them went silent. And you could see tears for them. The other one became belligerent and started using all kinds of excuses. Well, he does this and he does that, and just constantly throwing blame off on the other guy. I knew at that moment which one of them was going to be trainable, which one of them was going to stick around, which one of them was going to be loyal, which one of them was going to learn from God, and which one of them wasn't. Because that exposed it. God's word did you catch that? I didn't expose it. God's word exposed it. Listen to these words of Jesus. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I'll come in and I'll eat with him. And he with me. It's in Revelation 3.20. Jesus was saying this to a church that nobody would brag on. To a church that was saying, basically, we don't need you, Jesus. They were poor, the scripture says, poor, naked, blind, pitiful, and wretched. And above all things that they needed, and they needed a lot of things, they desperately needed a door-knocking Jesus. But they were saying they didn't need him. And yet, despite his revulsion for their sin. He loved them and longed to have fellowship with them. All people, sinners and saints alike, matter to God. And that's really it, isn't it? It's how much people matter to us that determines how far we'll go with them. Right? Then we'll get, get into the discussion again in a little bit. I want to get some feedback from you as we go through. I'm going to try to do this, stop and do this periodically and try to get a little bit of feedback. This one I want to set up a little bit. We're going to look at Luke, verse, Luke chapter 15. We're going to look at verse 28 through 30. But let me set that up. Those of you that don't know that story, that's, this is the prodigal son story. This is where the father that had two sons, and one son, the young son, wanted his inheritance now. So he wanted his money now so he could take it and spend it. 
So he gives him the inheritance. He gives him the money. And he goes off and he squanders it, squanders it on prostitute, evil living. Before long, he's lost all of his money and he's feeding pigs. And what he's getting to eat is even what the slop they're feeding the pigs. That's how far he's gone down. And suddenly it occurs to him. You know, if I went back to my father and his place, I could be a servant and be better off than I am right now. So I'm just going to go home to to my father and say, I'm sorry. Let me just be your servant. And so he goes home. And you know how the story goes. As he's approaching home, the father sees him coming and runs runs to meet him. It's a great story. Runs to meet him, throws a robe on him, puts a ring on his finger, kills a fatted calf, and has what? A giant party, right? He was lost, and now he's found. And we love that part of the story. This is a different part of the story. This is the older brother's reaction to the story. Let's read that, verse 28 through 30. The older brother became angry and refused to go in to the party. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, I love that, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and you never, and never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me even a young goat so that I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fatted calf for him. That's the older brother's response to the whole situation. What do you see different from the father's love and the older brother's love? Well, there's no wrong answers, guys. This is just gets, gets your thinking. What do you see the difference between the father's love and the older brother's love? Go ahead. The father was more concerned with his son having returned home. And the brother was more concerned with that his brother had Good, very good. Anybody over here? What do you see the difference between them? I agree with you. I feel like, you know, the brother's like, I never left. And the older brother's like, I never left. Like, I don't have you know, all these nice things. Like, he just comes back. Like, he's already betrayed you, and I've always been loyal, and that's not fair. Okay, he's looking for fairness, isn't he? Son of yours, yep. Mm-hmm. 
see that the older brother had no joy, no commitment to his brother. And the worst thing I see is, now get this, think this through, he was content to be saved without his brother. Let me say that again. He was content to be saved without his brother. He was upright, law-abiding, and that became his snare. He was so absorbed with his own correctness, he became loveless. And get this, he lost his father's likeness. See, his father loved, right? See, love really does cover a multitude of sins. Love doesn't say there's no consequences but it does defend the loved one. Love refuses to believe that the loved one's flaws are the sum of their life. The wrongs, they are wrong, of course, but they don't make their wrongs the index of their lives. Why? Because we love them. That's why the father reacted the way he did, because he loved him. The older brother didn't love let me give you an example of that just in my own life. My wife, everybody knows she's my better half, right? I've heard some people say in some seriousness, she's the reason they can put up with me, right? Amen, yeah, okay. And my wife is wonderful. I take pride in the fact that I chose her. She didn't choose me, I chose her. I take pride in that fact. I love her dearly. But we've been married, what, 43 years now? We were talking about that last night. In September, it'll be 43 years, right? However, I know things about her y'all don't know. Things about her you will never know. Flaws that she has that none of you know. And I still brag on her. Somebody criticize her? Y'all know it, right? It takes a lot to suppress my anger and keep me from jumping down their throats or worse, right? Y'all been around that, you know. Even if they're right, and sometimes they are, why is that? Why will I protect her even if they're right? This was an easy answer, guys. Say again. Because I love her, right. <laughs> See, lovers will defend a loved one even to the point of death. I think everybody that knows me knows if you're going to get to my wife, you're going to have to go through me. 
the God who came to live in Israel knew the people for who they were, yet he refused to despise them. And my biggest point there, his biggest point, while we, that's you and me, all of us, were still sinners, he rescued us and came to live inside of us. Have you ever, ever let that marinate and sink in? The God of all the universe that created everything loves you so much he wants to come and reside inside you? Does, does that not blow your mind? Have you ever heard people talk about, when I get to heaven, I'm going to ask God about this. I'm going to ask God, I want to go up and I want to talk to Moses. I want to talk to Moses about this. I don't ask Moses this question. When this was happening, what did you think? Or et cetera, et cetera. I think they're going to stop us and say, what was it like to have the Holy Spirit living inside you? What was it like to have God living in you throughout your whole life? I think they're more amazed at that than I'm going to be amazed at the answer to the question of him seeing the sea parted or something like that. And what's our, our response to this great love? Far too many of us make God out in our own image. We search for the God we want instead of the God who is. We'll ooh and we'll awe at a lovely landscape and then turn our nose up at a human who doesn't share our narrow views. We'll rejoice at a beautiful sunset but feel contempt when looking at a human that struggles with sin. Why is that? That's one I'll actually... I want an answer to someday. Why are we like that? Could it be we miss the fact that God really does love sinners? See, God doesn't love people because they're good. There's nothing we can do to earn his love. He loves us because he made us. Somebody said that earlier. There's always the critics that come into this. Critics aren't able to sit and watch people and rejoice that God gave them life. Their image of what people should be is the only thing that gives them pleasure. But they can't rejoice that God actually made them. They think people exist for them to correct. And despite clear biblical teaching, the critic thinks Jesus agrees with them. But they've missed the heart of Jesus by a million miles. They have a distorted view of who he is and what he's like. When Jesus was hanging on the cross, after he'd been beaten, whipped, flesh stripped from his body, blood pouring off of him, nails driven in his hands and his feet, and he's hanging on the cross, hanging on that cruel cross, what's he do? He yells out to, the, to God, kill them all. Send Michael, the archangel, and kill all of them, right? That's not what he did, is it? He's hanging on the cross with his blood dripping off of the cross onto the ground. And what's he say? Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. Now, that second part always got to me because I see it kind of in a couple of ways. Father, forgive them part just, just tears at my heart. How can you say forgive them after what they just did to you? because he loves sinful mankind. But the, uh, the second part, for they don't know what they're doing, I get that one. 
they don't know what they're doing. If they knew what they was doing, there's no way that they would have did what they did to him. The guy with the whip, when it all started, that he's supposed to scourge him, you think he'd have swung that, hip, that whip if he knew who he was? I mean, really knew who he was? Really knew that over his shoulder there were thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of angels that could attack him at any moment? And all it would take for him, is, I'm ready to throw the whip, is for him to go, now. <laughs> I'd be gone. Every human that was trying to do anything to him would be gone. If they knew who he was, they wouldn't have laid a hand on him. So I get the last part. Father, forgive them. He saw all of us for exactly who we are, and he died on that cross anyway. Did you ever let that one sink in? He didn't love us if we were what we should be. His love was and is redemptive. He loves us as we are and works us to make us what we should be. Think back again to the prodigal son story. God rejoices in his creation, just like that he explained in the prodigal son story. He cries out, ah, the sinner is back. Let's have a party. I contend God likes to party. That's why he told that story. <laughs> but sometimes smug self-righteousness leads us to rewrite that story. We rewrite it to say the father loves the son only after he has returned. But if you read the story, you know that's not true. That's not what the parable says. It says that prodigals are loved even when they're up to their eyeballs in piggery. I had to make that one up, piggery. You like that? It says we're drawn home by memories of home, and when we are, we're welcomed. That's the difference in the story. Why? Because Jesus loves sinners. Wow, I'm having a good time with this. Some of you have, have heard me give this illustration before. I'm going to give it here because, again because I don't think everybody has and, and I think it fits well into this. Um, the first time I shared it, I called it a dream. And, and I believe I was being a little dishonest when I called it a dream because I as it happened to me, I don't believe it was a dream. It didn't happen at night when I was asleep. Matter of fact, I wasn't asleep. It was in the middle of the day, and it was, if it was a dream, it was more like daydreaming. And the whole thing probably really lasted seconds. But it seemed like it was long minutes, three, four, five minutes. I'm going to demonstrate it for you. Just as it kind of happened to me. All of a sudden, the scene is me sitting in a chair and Jesus sitting directly across from me, very close to me, where he can reach and touch me. And we're having a conversation. I'm looking at him and, and you'll have to bear with me. I, I'm an old man, and so this, some of this is just true. But this is what I was saying. Father, I don't know how much longer I can do this. I mean, I'm getting old, and these kids, 
Father, they're messed up. They're so disrespectful. They, my father, I mean, they're just, and he would stop me in mid-sentence. And he would look at me and say, love them like I love you. I say, I just don't know. I, I don't know how I could do that. I just don't. I just don't know how I can do it if I'm constantly arguing back and forth and I'm laying out my, my case about how you are. And that's what I was doing with, with Jesus. He and I are having this discussion. It's, Father, they, they, they treat their parents bad. Father, they, they disrespect everybody. They, and I just go on and on and on and on and he just keeps stopping me and just say, love them like I love you. And finally, that had sunk in deep enough that there really wasn't any more argument I could make about you. It really had became more about what he was saying to me. Love them like I love you. And then it suddenly hit me and tears began to flow. Father, I don't know how you love me. I don't know how you can love me. <laughs> I know me for who I am. I know the kind of life I've lived and all these excuses I'm making about them they're all on me too because I'm worse than them because I know me. How did you love, how can you love me? And then this scene pops into my head like a movie screen all of a sudden in front of me and it's, if you saw the passion of the Christ, it's just like that. The whip is striking his back and ripping flesh off. And then they're nailing him to the cross and nails are going through his hands and I see it, see the blood and I see the nails and I hear it. I hear the hammer hitting the nails. I see him driving it through his feet. I see him hanging him up, up, on the, up, up in the air. I see the blood running down. I see him hanging there looking. This is the scene I'm seeing. And tears are just flowing because it's killing me. And then the scene's gone. And he says... Love them like I loved you. And then it was gone. And like I say, that probably took place over a couple of minutes, three, four, five minutes. But in reality, it was probably seconds. Why did the Holy One the one true God in the person of Jesus come down and walk with mankind. Why did he go to the cross? You know, at any moment, like we said earlier, at, at any moment, he could have said one word and it all would have stopped. At any moment, he could have said, Michael. Even if he just whispered it, Michael. I assure you, Michael and the myriads of, of angels would have descended because they didn't understand what was going on either. And every one of them wanted to step into the picture and stop it. Stop what they were doing to Jesus, their loved one. But he didn't. Why? Why did he do that? Why didn't he stop it? You get feedback here. Help me out a little bit. <laughs> Why didn't he stop it? Tell us only that you were 
Okay, that's the only way we would believe it. Okay. Because we were worth it to him. Okay. Anybody else? question is, why did he do it? Why didn't he stop it? I think the answer is found in Scripture. God so loved the world, there's the answer, that he gave his one and his only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. He didn't send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save. Why did he do it? Why didn't Jesus stop it? Because the world had to be saved. Because he loved us. He was telling me, love them like I love you. Think that through for a second. That's how he wants us to love. I'm supposed to get really practical in this class. That's one thing they kept telling me over and over and over. Get practical. So here's some practicality. We need to never be in the condemning business. That's not our job. We need to never be in the condemning business. We need to be in the loving business. We need to love lost sinners just like Jesus loved us. Take that personal, like he loved you. It's easier to learn how to do it if you place it into yourself, because only you know you. How did he love you? Why did he put up with your sin? We need to have a love for the lost that wants to save the lost. And when that happens, we'll reach out to them, and we'll share Jesus with them. We won't be afraid to tell them that their sin separates them from God. But most important will tell them the way out of their sin. 
That's the most important thing we can tell mankind. There is a way out. If this place was all of a sudden on fire and we were all downstairs and it was burning down and smoke was so thick when none of us could find our way out and you found the exit, would you just run out the exit and leave everybody behind? Or would you go back and grab somebody, somebody you knew, somebody you loved and say, hey, I found the exit, let's go out. But what if they said, no, that's not the exit. I'm following Lynn. He's headed that way. He says he knows where the exit is. Lynn's not from here. How does he know where the exit is? Now you're into an argument. What would you do? I contend you'd do whatever. You'd knock them out and carry them if you had to. Because you actually found the exit. Right? It's the same thing. We have found the exit. We want to tell them their way out. There really is a fire. You see, when we love them the way God does, it's going to hurt us too much not to tell them. So, do you love sinners the way God does? Here's my main point in the whole thing. I could have just summed it up with this from the beginning and not spoke at all, I think, and y'all would have been happier. So if you don't get anyone, write this one down. Your love for God is never going to be real until you love the way he loves. Your love for God is never going to be real until you love the way he loves. Now, I'm done with my point, but I want you to get practical for a second. How can you love God the way he loved you? That's what this was supposed to be about, loving God, right? I contend we had to talk about how God loves before we could ever learn how to love him. So how can you love God the way he loves? Okay, sacrifice, giving yourself up for others, all right. Being a testimony for him, good. Forgiving others. Not casting judgment on others. It's good. Being very patient. All right, I like that. Being humble. Tell them the way out. I heard that. I like that. Doing it joyfully. Telling people the truth from the word, okay? Loving people even when they hurt you. I like that. When they're crucifying you, there you go. Yep, Jesus said that. If you love, love is proven keeping his commandments. That's good. Share your stuff with people, okay? I'm going to, huh? You were them. Anybody that knows me knows what I'm going to close with. Here's my answer to that same question. How can we love God the way he loves us? Die. 
Because as long as you keep living and not letting him live, you're not loving him the way he loves you. You need to put self to death. Thank you, guys.